All right. So, welcome back, everybody. Episode two of the Peak Bros podcast. My name is Mia, and I'm the personal trainer here. And I'm Brian, the physical therapist. Awesome. So, we got some hot topics. We're going to kind of go back and forth between a couple different things that we do here. Uh, Brian, would you like to start? Yeah. So, um, today, basically, we've got like five hot topics that patients and clients have been asking us about. And so, what better time to talk about those things? than here on our podcast. Uh, we're gonna try to make it fun today and basically just kinda like rapid fire, I'll throw a topic at Mia or vice versa, we'll talk about a little conversation and then probably give a little conclusion at the end and that's, that's what you got for today. Cool, you ready? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so number one, percussive therapy or modalities? Ooh, percussive mm -hmm. therapy. So, there's a lot of tools that are falling in that category, all right? This guy right here, it's the Theragun. Okay, and that's kind of, it seems like it's more of the therapist model that people are going with. But um, ultimately, you've got like the Hypervolt, you've got the Tim Tam, you've got all these different tools. The real thing is, what is it for? Why does it work? Does it work? And, you know, what's so cool about it? So, I have to say, um, this is touted to be one of the quieter ones. I mean, it does have two settings, hmm. and I have to say, it's, it feels quieter than the one I used a couple years ago, which wasn't a Theragun, um, and I do like that it has kind of like various ways to hold it as the practitioner. Um, so interestingly enough, the way this was uh, developed, the guy who came up with this is this huge, big old chiropractic guy who um, had a motorcycle crash, and you know, he had a lot of soft tissue damage and soft tissue restrictions, connective tissue issues. So, he, he, he also was no stranger to working with tools and, and woodworking, things like that. And so he basically was, was able to create some, I mean, it, it's essentially like a jigsaw, right? It's something that goes back and forth, but instead of putting a saw here, you put these different, you know, nubs, if you will. Um, so, you know, I don't think one of these is better than the other. I'm not here to give you a consumer report on which one to go with. Um, some are more expensive than others. But I will say, to answer your question, does it work and what does it do? You know, what we're doing is we're increasing blood flow, which is what everybody knows, but it also helps increase like lymphatic flow, which is one thing that a lot of people don't think about. So we have um, I'm gonna sh we're going to use this in a minute or so if, if Mia's so kind to let us try it on her. But, Sounds good to me. Um, you know, we have these watersheds in our groin, in our armpits, in our neck where all the lymph nodes hang out and we try to flush fluid out that way. And sometimes we get what's called stasis and where fluid just kind of hangs out, especially for those of you who sit a lot or even, you know, even running. Running does get a natural pumping mechanism where the fluids come upwards. Um, towards those watersheds, but you know, if you if you get stationary, if you get sedentary, um, or and sometimes it could be dietary too in terms of your electrolyte imbalances, we sometimes get fluid that collects. So right, we all know about calf cramps or calves in general after you've been you know if you're an endurance athlete and your your muscles get really tight, you get that that bouncing that quick stretch of the muscle tissue and of the connective and elastic tissues, it does help to relax that. Um, a lot of times, pain can be resolved from that 
vibratory bouncing and quick stretch that takes place. So does it work? I would say yes, it does relax tissues. It does allow for better oxygenation of the muscles, which does help for recovery. Um, that's kind of how it works. You know, is it the end all be all? I don't think so, but it, I do think, you know, to ask a patient to try to do this for more than a few seconds is kind of too much to ask. Most patients don't have the ability or the desire to do deep tissue on themselves. And, you know, I've been married for six years, Mia's been married for a little while. Like, it's, it's hard to get your spouse to always do body work on you. And so otherwise, you know, you're left to basically go in to pay for a massage or, or going, you know, to get body work done. But it's not as difficult to do it on yourself. So you can take something like this and try to work along areas that are tight. To me, it's a little bit easier to do something like this on yourself. You know, you can just hit the calf right here, just hanging out. And what you're doing is, the technique is you want to float along the muscle. You're not trying to dig in, so you don't really have to put any force into it, which again, as a practitioner or as a spouse or friend, is a lot easier to do. Sorry for the background noise. They're doing some work across, yeah, construction at the unit next door. You want to try it out? Sure. All right, so we actually went for a run with a, with a few uh, patient clients the other day, and so, I don't know, do you have any areas that, that might need a little deep tissue work? Yeah, um, my hamstrings are really sore. All right, so basically, I would, I would come down. One thing I do think is important to understand is that you want to kind of work between muscles. So your IT band comes along here, and so between the IT band and then you've got the lateral hamstring here, then you've got the medial two here. So the hamstrings comprise of three muscles that come down here. So beware, it's a little, it can be a little ticklish or a little weird at first, so I'll just kind of come along here. Oh yeah, certain spots too, like when you got to like that lower section, yep. that's up there. Yeah. yeah, and so we could come up through here and work deep into some of the glute area or in where the hamstring attaches right through here. And what level is this? this is so this is the, the stronger level. If we went down to this one, it's a little bit easier. Yep. Is it better to be standing or like laying down to this? Right, so that's a good question. Um, we could, I would probably not have her standing. I'd probably have her laying down and I might even have her kind of do like a contract relax where she's tightening the hamstring a little bit and then releasing or a lot of times in my world of physical therapy we'll do like a functional movement pattern where she's moving the leg back and forth or in and out so you can also do this you know another area where you could definitely benefit would be up through here um, you've got this area a lot of patients especially people who might be stressed lately from from good old coronavirus come in through here in the shoulder blade region or in the shoulder, uh, the axilla. You know, if you're getting a, a tennis player who's got a rotator cuff type of thing, that could be a really nice area to work as well. So That's cool. the, the, the take home is I, I think this is a great tool to have in your chest. Um, I don't think if this is the only thing you're doing for yourself, well, it's better than nothing. I think rolling, foam rollers, yoga tune-up balls, 
the Theragun or different types of tools like this. And then, you know, active stretching and, and that sort of thing can all be really beneficial. I like it. And you yeah. said it has the different adaptive yeah. pieces and yes. you, have a, you don't really have a preference one so or the other? Or depends it depends, on yeah, it depends on the area. That, that's actually the largest piece mm -hmm. and I probably wouldn't use that on your shoulder area. Mm -hmm. I'd probably go with a little bit of a smaller head. She's petite so I wouldn't want to go with this huge thing. You want to kind of work along the bony contours and you want to work through the, you know, along the muscle fibers or sometimes you might want to go perpendicular to the fibers depending on what your goal are and what your intention is. But again, using that, the, the various attachment heads can really just help drive what you're, or, or kind of jive with what you're trying to do. Cool. Yes. Yeah. You ready? Sure. Uh, strength and conditioning. Oh, this is a good one. <laughs> it's yeah. right up your uh, alley. Yeah, that's what I do for work, right? So. Um, let me take it down to where, like, I, when I first start with either a client or a group. So uh, normally we get a client that calls, and the first thing I always do is I always have a consultation. And with that client, I find out all their needs, their goals, whether or not they have surgery, you know, what they like to do for hobbies and sports. You know, I have all different types of athletes or people recovering from surgeries. So just like really learning more about them and what they're looking for. Um, but then we break it down to the more science um, behind it. So we have, for someone who, like let's say for example, is just looking to do some general strength and conditioning, um, you know, they just want to stay in shape, they want to you know, get a little bit stronger, uh, the general recommendations uh, through ACSM, which is my certification I have for personal training, we have different categories of what we want our clients to be focusing on. So we have resistance training. So what that is, is using weights, using dumbbells, using barbells. Body um, weight? Body weight movements too. We have TRX straps. Um, so any type of movement where you're going to be really strengthening the different big muscle groups in here. We can talk about some of that stuff in a second. Um, then we also have cardio or endurance. So going for a run, going for a swim, going for a bike ride. Uh, using the row machine, which I really like because it's so low impact, especially for people who are just recovering from different surgeries and things like that. Um, hiking, right? Um, even if you're you know, kind of stuck in your house, right, and you don't have a lot of equipment or things to utilize, people can really uh, get a lot of good cardio and endurance just moving around the house, cleaning, if you're organizing things, if you're just constantly getting that heart rate up, anything that's getting that heart rate up. Uh, that is actually recommended to get about five to seven days a week of cardio. Um, with the strength training piece that I was saying before, that's more like two to three days a week. It can actually be more if we separate the muscle groups out a little bit, um, and I can talk about that in a second. And then another piece I have clients, groups focus on is flexibility. So that would be doing any type of static stretching, right? So if I'm doing, if my triceps are really sore, maybe I do something like this to stretch my triceps out, um, if I want them to get warmed up and get like things moving, we do something called dynamic stretching for flexibility, which is like doing some high knees, some butt kicks, some different movements just to get everything rotated and trying to get the blood flow going to get ready for activity. So we always have these different pieces that we like to focus on. Um, so for flexibility, any time that you can stretch, especially now that you're kind of at home, if you can do that five to seven days a week, that would be so ideal for flexibility. Um, so when I look at my clients, what they need, what their goals are, I write up a plan 
with them based on those different components. Um, when I have a group, for example, though, like let's say I'm working with a football team or let's say I'm working with like a lacrosse team, what you want to do is not just look at their individual season, so whether that's like in the spring or in the fall. For strength and conditioning, I like to look at the whole year. So it's not just about, oh, it's day one, first day of practice, let's get into it. No, it's a whole year-long process. So the first piece I'm going to talk about for that specific group would be the off-season. So the off-season, um, which lasts a few months, and it does depend on like the start dates and things like that, but for the off-season, you really want to get some good strength and some good power. So let's say I am working with the football team, right? Their movements, you know, they're on the uh, offensive line, defensive line, they have a start and go in a rapid, explosive type movement to get that first play down. Um, and they have to really just get that good hamstring strength, get the good quad strength. They have to learn how to use these muscles, but you need to develop that within that off season. You might do some drills, some like football plays during that off season, but the main focus of the off season for those first few months would be to really develop that strength and that power. Then you have what I like to call the preseason, and it's six weeks prior to the start date of your actual in-season. So your preseason, now that you've kind of developed that strength and that power, you're going to want to also learn more sport-specific drills. So if I'm on my football team, I got my good strength, I got my good power going now. Now is, this is the time to focus on plays. What's the route that I'm running? Where's my quarterback? How am I going to develop some of those rotational skills too in order to make that play happen? You still have the strength and the power, but yeah, that, that main focus would be more on the, the drills and the skills themselves. During the in-season time, it's important to continue with a little bit of strength in order to prevent the injuries and to make sure that you're maintaining um, some, some of that strength. But the focus for in-season, yeah, of course, is, all right, what team am I playing next? How am I going to make sure that I learn all these new plays in order to make that happen for this next game? Um, using some band work, doing some, some things that are more maintenance-based during that time is ideal for the in-season. Um, and then when you have your postseason, that final piece of the year, that's when you actually want to do something else. So I did so much football for the last nine months, and now it's, let me have like a month or so to actually just you know, play golf, go for a hike, do something different just so your body can have a break, and then you're going to start back up with that uh, off season, getting that power, getting that strength again. So it's like this cycle that it goes through. Um, every sport is a little different, and the movements that we do are different. But generally, when I'm looking at my sports teams, we're breaking it down by exactly what, when is their first meet or when is their first game? Um, what do I need to do now? What's their focus now in order to take to the next step, get them prepared for that season, have a good, successful, healthy, injury-free season? So um, those are the pieces that we focus here. And um, it, what I noticed too, mainly about all these different patients, clients, um, program participants, what they appreciate the most is that we are prepared with a plan, um, writing these things out, and also just being in communication with them, their parents, 
to make sure that they're having the best success here that we can give them. Yeah. yeah. And you could, you know, taking off of that just briefly, you could take someone who's, who's trying to run their first 5K and apply the same principles to what Mia just talked about. It's really just teaching us as a society to look at things big picture and small picture. So when someone says to us, yeah, I really want to run a 5K in two months, all right, well, that's great, and hopefully you're going to be able to do that, but a lot of people in, in our world here are really planning out 2021, or, or at least, the, you know, they, we, we call it an A race, a B race, a C race, things like that. So mm. planning, looking at your calendar from a bird's eye view is really essentially the same thing that Mia was talking about. She's just talking about the details of how, okay, so your, your big race is 10 months away. Perfect. So let's focus on strength, power, things like that. Mm -hmm. When you get closer to it, it's, it's more like let's make sure we get to the starting line, which is where injury prevention comes in. So that's the only other thing I'd go off of what she was talking about. That in-season football player, it's like she said, maintenance. It's also just getting, making sure they can play on Sunday or making sure they can play their game on Friday night. And that's where it comes down to injury prevention and, and, and Theragun and doing all that we can in a PT and training perspective to get them safe and ready for gameplay because it, sometimes it's the attrition of the season can really take a toll. Absolutely. All right. Next topic? Yeah. All right, dry needling. Oh, dry needling. All right, so <laughs> in an interest of time, we're gonna talk probably four or five minutes about the next few topics. This is the outside of a dry needle. Ooh. Okay, these are all sterile. This is the needle. The whole point is you can't probably see on your camera. Okay, now if I show it up close, Mia can probably see. Mm -hmm. But the point is, I mean, this thing is bendy. It's like very, very flexible. Yes, it's very sharp on the end. And yes, we always wear gloves when we needle. And yes, we dispose of them, every single one of them appropriately. <laughs> but um, with dry needling, you're, there's a lot of theory involved. A lot of people want to know why it works. We do know based on the research, it does work. There have been hundreds of studies. This has been actually going on for, for over 100 years in a lot of other countries. It's just become much more popularized in the States over the last probably 15 to 20 years or less. But um, dry needling is we don't really understand why it works. There are a lot of different thoughts and hypotheses. Uh, there are millions of scientists who've looked at this neuromatrix and this uh, central pain sensitization, all of these different reasons, but we don't really know why it works. We just know that it does work, okay? So what you're doing is you're trying to palpate the body for uh, what we call active or latent trigger points, myofascial trigger points. And an active trigger point is usually one that's very tender to the, to the touch. Uh, it's, it's what we call exquisitely tender to the touch. It's also um, basically elicits pain and it's to the, to the practitioner, you can feel like a guitar string. So it's a very, it's a, what we call a taut band of muscle fiber, okay? Now, the biggest thing we need to understand about trigger, uh, active trigger point and, and dry needling is that there is local pain. So let's say Mia said, yeah, you know, I've got some pain right through here, okay? That is local pain, but we also, oh, hold on. <laughs> um, we also have 
referred pain. And that's where trigger point dry needling really gets um, a lot of benefit. The two places where when I, I've been needled in all different parts of my body from going to a lot of these courses and the two places that I'll never forget about, I was needled at the base of my skull, which is called the suboccipital triangle. There's a, a group of muscles that are very short. Some of them are actually fairly thickened, but they can be very taut and they can be very restrictive and they can kind of play a number on your blood supply to, your, to the brain and kind of moving upwards. So you, you get kind of what we call an ischemic sensation where it feels like there's not a lot of um, blood supply getting up there and it's just very uncomfortable if you, if you touch there. It can really refer pain in a lot of different parts of your head. So what I remember, they needled me up here and I could feel it on the top of my head. And that was, I couldn't just feel it, I could feel like a pain right here. And that's what we call referred pain because the fibers that go here go over the top and right to here. So. Um, that was one area and then needling the glutes I could feel it all the way down my leg and it was not sciatic pain but it reminded me of what sometimes felt like my sciatica type of pain that, that was associated with a lower back injury. So um, you know trigger point dry needling is incredibly effective. Um, there's not a lot of people that shouldn't have it done. Um, there are some people and we have to note you know our contraindications and you know Anyone who's allergic to metal, anyone who's got blood clotting disorders, um, there's a few other types of people or places that we don't want to needle. We do have to be careful in certain parts of the body. Mm -hmm. But, you know, she mentioned some tight hamstrings. I might have to do some needling on that later on. It's, it's a really beneficial to leg muscles, calf muscles, shoulder muscles. Um, one last piece to leave you with, the tennis elbow lateral epicondyalgia is often can be treated with dry needling as an example. So you might find muscles down here that are causing a trigger point up through here. You might also find muscles up through here like the subscapularis muscle which are causing pain on the dorsal or the outside of your wrist. So there have been people who in the past have gone through all sorts of different you know, processes. Imagine having surgery to fix a wrist injury and it was actually coming from a trigger point up in your shoulder. You know, so there's a lot of things to think about with that. There's, it's essentially very minimally invasive. You don't get people who get infections from this. It's, it's you know, essentially non-existent in that sense. Um, and really just an awesome adjunct to the type of therapy that we do here. If you um, notice that people have certain compensations or injuries on one side of the body, would you do three different sections that on that same day? Yeah, so we'll, yeah, we'll, you know, like let's say I'm treating someone for a neck or shoulder issue. I might needle uh, the upper trapezius muscle. I might do um, the infraspinatus muscle. And then even in that same session, I might even do the subscapularis or even the, uh, the neck, mm -hmm. the base of the neck. So, you know, the process may only take eight to 10 minutes or less, sometimes three or four minutes, depending on how many areas you're trying to get to. And usually the pain, you, it can be uncomfortable, mm -hmm. but not always. And, uh, you know, some people will say that it lasts for, you know, a few hours. And some people have told me it lasted for three or four days. Wow. But many people come back to me and say, oh, that was, that was huge. Some people come in, I, I hate to say it, but I really think I need some needles today. So it, it's just a nice tool to have in your chest, just like the Theragun. That's cool. Yeah.
You ready? Sure. All right. Um, I'm going to go with mindfulness. I like it. Yeah. That's a good one. Talk to um, me. Yeah, so working with different athletes and patients and clients here, I always hear um, besides just the physical piece or they want to get stronger and things like that, sometimes it's really challenging to either get started um, to just start to train or to do some of the consistency on their own or even to um, you know get over some fear when it comes to like a certain race so for example I was working with someone and they were really nervous about like this big meet that was coming up and um, they had a hard time just relaxing and it's so hard when people are like just relax before right. your race so that's like some of the worst things exactly. you can ever hear yeah um but if you practice, calm down well, calm down is really a, a tough one yeah. sorry <laughs> no, no i know what i'm saying now yeah um but if you are able to practice something that that gives you a sense of calm and release then that can help you for that race coming up so for example something that i tell a lot of clients is your, your pre-race setup. So like, let's say you have a run. Think positively as much as you can about the entire race through. So if you have like a 5K race, maybe you think about, all right, it's gonna, I'm gonna wake up, I'm gonna visualize a beautiful sunny day. So this is like a visualization technique. If you picture a beautiful sunny day, enough space around your start line, picture yourself having a really good breakfast, picture yourself um, drinking enough water, Picture yourself just e like easing your way through the course. Even if you know you have to pick up the, the pace a little bit and you're trying to get a fast time or get like a fast PR, then if you are able to just visualize it, even if you feel like it's hard to get the feelings themselves of just feeling calm, if you can picture what it's like to have some positivity, the feelings will come later. So if you can visualize what makes you feel the most calm, for me, it's the, the weather. So if I picture like a sunny, beautiful day, I know I'm going to have a good 5K race. That's just how I am. So I always picture that. And even if it's the race day and you don't have a, a sunny day, hey, you can still picture that at the start line as you go. So that's one technique, the visualization technique. Um, and then something else that uh, has worked for a lot of my my clients is mantras, so establishing some sort of positive mantra. Um, for me, you know, I might wake up, um, maybe I had like a hard week, um, but waking up that day, the first thing I want to say is something positive. So that can be, it's going to be a good day. Or maybe you want to talk about what you're grateful for. It might be hard when like you're stressed out or there's a lot of things going on, but if you can find something um, as meaningful as you can make that, and then that can loosen the tone. So yeah, I'm grateful for being able to run today. I'm grateful for um, it being spring. You know, I know it's kind of a tough time right now with COVID-19, um, but setting up some of those routines, um, if you don't have one already, or if you need something that, um, you know, you need some suggestions, two of those things can really work. Sure. Yeah, and just going off of that, yeah. you know, sticky notes are great. Yeah. Um, putting them in the dashboard of your car, or putting them on the mirror where you, uh, you know, you brush your teeth twice a day, um, and even getting your loved one to write something on that sticky note, write your mantra there. It just makes it like that much more meaningful and a little bit easier when you're not having a great day and you need that little extra boost. Yeah, and. Um I like the color purple, so I really enjoy writing and seeing that color. It just helps me. Um, but we got one more topic yeah. to discuss. 
Um, and that would be heat versus ice therapy. And so tell us a little bit about that, um, what you know, and um, what you can help us with, because a lot of people struggle with, with what to do, which one. Yeah, it's one of those topics that's funny because you basically, when you go to PT school, you're basically, you might as well just sign up for the fact that you're gonna get that question at every party and every client for the rest of your life. So it's kind of a funny topic, but it, it's a real one. Um, the idea of heat versus ice. So. The hard, fast, black and white rule is the first 48 to 72 hours you're going to go ice after an injury, okay? If you fall and you, you got a big bruise or a big swollen knee, you're definitely not going to put heat on that, right? You have increased blood in the area, you have swelling, so the last thing you want to do with heat is increase blood supply to an area that already has that. Mm -hmm. um, with that being said, ice is you know very we it's a free and it's a it doesn't have to go process through your liver and kidneys it's it's easy pull it out of the freezer and you can put that on it's got great anti-inflammatory abilities so it's a no-brainer to use ice even in the winter on something that's a fresh injury okay it gets a little bit more of a gray area when you've got someone let's say a runner who you sprain your ankle on a saturday and now it's six, seven days later, and you've been walking on it. It's you know, it's not a grade five ankle sprain. It's like more like a grade one or two. You you know, you were even on crutches for a day, but then you've been limping on it. And then by the last couple of days, you're like, yeah, I'm gonna try going for a jog. You go on a two mile run, and you say, you know what? It hurts, but hmm, I don't know. The answer is you're gonna want to ice that, even though you're outside of that 48 to 72 hour window. You want to ice it because it's almost like a new injury. Okay, um, it's one of those things where you gotta, you gotta gauge the system. So if you are stiff and achy, like let's say you didn't go for that run and your ankle's kind of stiff and you wake up in the morning, then that's a good time to throw some heat on it. Or you wake up in the morning, your back's been bothering you for a few days, you wake up and your back is just stiff. That's when a hot shower or uh, sitting in a sauna or just laying on a hot pack can be really beneficial. Mm -hmm. So you're just trying to figure out what's best for your body at that time. Um, it's chronic pain where it becomes a little bit more of a, a question mark. You know, ice is always the answer for a lot of things, but sometimes ice doesn't help an injury that's been chronically painful for a really long time. And that's where heat can be really beneficial. Um, you know, there's also like cryotherapy out there, which is a, um, a really kind of cool thing that they're doing. We, we know that ice baths are great for runners, especially for their lower legs and trying to reduce lactic acid and just trying to get kind of flush out the junk. Um, so cryotherapy is, is something out there where you can, you can try that out. I know they actually have a cool place down the road here in, in Guilford that does cryotherapy. Um, but ice baths are great. And then heat therapy, like going and sitting in a sauna or a hot tub can be really beneficial. But there is definitely a time where I think if your body's already pretty dehydrated and you just, you know, did like a, a, a crazy run or something where it probably isn't the best thing for you, even though it kind of feels good at that moment, it's probably not the best therapeutically speaking for your body. You probably need some ice because you already need to kind of calm down the inflammation. Yeah, if it's like 95 degrees outside, do you really want to go on a sauna for 30 minutes after that? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, just think about hydration, think about um, what your body needs at that time, and then just taking it from there. Cool. So I think we got some really cool topics coming up for you guys soon. I think we might be having some nutrition talk very soon and with some other cool things as well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. 
All right. Awesome. Thanks, Great. Mia. Yeah, see you guys for episode three. Awesome. Take awesome. care.